0: Hello everyone. I hope your summer is going very well. I know mine is, um, but it is coming to a close shortly, and that's not meant to discourage anyone or make you sad, um, but quite the opposite. We we have things to look forward to when it gets colder. For those of us who are living in the Midwest and places that are cold, we have an escape to beautiful Southern California on January 4th, 2020. And that is the date of the upcoming Los Angeles Whip Cracking Convention, which is an annual event. If you have never heard of it, I encourage you to watch my micro-documentary at youtube.com slash Nick's Whipshop. I covered what the event is all about, as you can get a pretty good idea of of what's going on uh, in that video. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful event where a bunch of people show up and they talk about whips, whip cracking, whip making, whip competitions. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And this will be, I believe, my fourth year attending. Uh, and its I can't say enough about it. I can't say enough about it. So January 4th, mark that down on your calendar for 2020. Uh, there is talk of having the 3rd, January 3rd, which is Friday before, um, as a meet and greet day where we show up. We hang out, we talk. Uh, there are no competitions that's th- that day. It's just a big hangout of a bunch of people. And that's something that myself alongside other people were wanting to uh, have a little more of, just more time to to talk and, you know, mingle. So exact times for that, like I said, it's still being decided, but I will absolutely let you all know once times and locations are set in stone. But as for now, just make sure you mark down January 4th twenty twenty because that will be the main day of the whip meet. so joining me on this episode of Whipcast, we have Adam Winrich, Blake Bruning, and Steve Townsend. There are a good amount of topics that we discuss on this episode, but one in particular that I will mention is we talk about cracking whips in public, and Adam made some really good points and had some really good tips on cracking whips in public without. Uh, stepping on any toes you know, without people getting mad at you. There are some precautions that you can take to greatly reduce the likelihood of a confrontation or somebody calling the police on you. It's a really interesting topic and so are the other ones that we discussed. So sit back, relax, grab a whip, enjoy. I'm Nick Schrader and you are listening to Whipcast. <music> You guys doing? Good to see you all again. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yep, yeah. Fun. Now, Adam, you actually just visited Daniel Wicks in Ohio. He was doing some motocross racing with his friends. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I haven't seen Daniel Wicks since uh, the last time I was in Australia in 2012 at the Australian National Whip Cracking Championships. And I was really jealous when you told me last year he'd come over to the United States and was doing some motocross riding, and you got to meet him. Mm-hmm. So when I found out he was back here, and I was planning to come over here anyway to hang out with you guys, I thought, I'll just drive a little bit further and get to hang out with Daniel. Yeah. And that's probably the most I've been able to talk to him, because he had uh, other times been to competitions, like he's been so busy, or there's other, other people around. Yeah. And yeah, Daniel, he yeah, has a super cool dude, like, uh, he's a really, uh, really even-keeled guy, he and is. it's great to hang out with him. And, Oh, We we talked... uh, I mean, I got to see him race. I haven't been to a flat flat track motocross race ever. So that was cool to see that. Because I know he's really interested in it. And for him, whip cracking... uh, It's not... Like, for me, like, oh, that's my thing, man. Mm -hmm. And for him, it's not quite as a driving force in his life as it is for other people. So he's more chill about it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we had to talk about a lot of interesting stuff. Like uh, judging competitions in Australia and how difficult that can be and how close... Some of the competitors can be, and how hard it is to differentiate them, especially when some competitors do all the same tricks. Right, and those can be really close. And um, and I yeah, I got to crack some of his whips and ask him about some of his routines and like mm-hmm. and like I thought you created this routine. He's like, no, I thought somebody else created it. So it's a lot of these little questions. And um I know that Daniel like maybe he isn't as nerdy about whip cracking as some of us are so I wasn't sure what he was going to answer or if answer anything right, at all right. or if I could tell like oh he just wants to talk more about motorbikes uh, but no he was uh, no he was, uh, it was great to talk about all that, all that whip stuff I don't think there was uh, anything I brought up that he like shied away from answering
0: that's awesome so for those of you who don't know Daniel Wicks is a champion whip cracker in Australia his family uh, helped me yeah. out on this so, let's see, who's
1: won? Da- Daniel is the, the oldest and yeah. is the winningest, probably whipcracker in the history of the Australian Whipcracking and Planning Association. Yeah. So, Daniel has been winning national championships since he was a kid. So, they have different levels uh, based on age. And there's like Pee juveniles, juniors, and then there's adults. So, yeah. I think, I don't know if he ever competed in the Pee but I'm pretty sure he's won in the juveniles and the juniors I think juveniles maybe like 12 and under and juniors are like 16 and under then once you're 17 you gotta be in the adult Mm. so yeah Daniel like almost I think undefeated as an adult I I think only once did this other really good Australian whipcracker Luke Fritz beat him by a little bit but he's in his like mid-twenties now and he would have started when he was 17 going to the national championship so I think he's only been defeated once so, yeah, probably the, the winningest, one of the winningest Whip Crackers in, in Australia. Nice and success. I did post a photo on my, of the two of us on my Facebook page. And said, here I am with the world's greatest Whip Cracker, Daniel Wicks. And this has been a ban- bandied about, or banded about, thrown about on Facebook a little bit about like how challenging the Australian style of competition is. And it is super challenging. So, yeah, of course, to my mind, anyone that goes and wins that year after year after year with like how strong of a whipcracker you have to be, how many routines you have to know, and how you have to have them mastered and be able to get all the cracks and just have the stamina to do it, it is more challenging than the competitions that we've set up over here. And so I would say anyone like Daniel that's won it over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. like if he's not the world's best, then who is? Right. There Mm -hmm. is a slight other bit to that. Like there is more to the world of whipcracking than the Australian style, but I guess if I'm just saying purely just cracking the whip, different ways to technically crack the whip, particularly having two whips and actually cracking them in different techniques, mm-hmm. the Australians obviously are are the very best at that, and then Daniel is the very best of them. Yeah.
0: To be able to hold it for that many years is impressive to me because you have people coming, you know, seeing him perform, seeing him win, and I'm sure you have a handful of whipcrackers who are like, I'm getting the next year, and they put all in all the work, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, To hold that for that long period of time is... Impressive to me, I
1: think. I think part of part of it, I mean, Daniel just has a lot of good athletic talent. Yeah. Um, he, he has some really good tricks. I was he's, he's competed for so long, so that there's a couple things. You have one that gives you just a lot of experience at competing. Mm-hmm. Two, because he's done it since he's been so young, he's just built that muscle memory from such a young age, yeah. and I think that's why Australians are so much better at the two of whip cracking than um, anywhere else in the world because they start so young. Mm-hmm. And like I was trying to tell some people the other night, some other Australians we were hanging out with, is yeah. that like me, I've been whip cracking since I was a kid, but I didn't start doing the Australian two-handed stuff until I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. So kind of by then, it's almost too late. So yeah. here I am about 15 years later, like still working on stuff super hard that the other kids that are like 16 yeah. can do. So um, So yeah, Daniel definitely has that advantage, but also natural athletic ability and then you ask him about his oh, the rest of his family so his sister Brooke has also won the ladies mm-hmm. national championship and then there is another sister uh, she, what's her name her name's uh, Spaceman this is Brooke and there's Daniel and there's one other sister and, I'm, and her name's escaping me I, she has competed but I don't think she ever won anything
2: okay. well, was uh, his mother the one that does Wilkes Wonderman? or is that am I thinking of your no Wonderment? no so there's Daniel
1: Wicks or, oh, this felt it like, a, like a candle wick, but with an ass oh, okay. wick. And there's Fiona Wilkes, oh, okay? Mm-hmm. So, Fiona Wilkes, no relation, oh, okay? And Fiona created Wilks wonder,
2: okay. hmm. my bad, it's <laughs> awesome. But his parents, uh, see, they Ka- Ka- I think it's Katie. Did his Katie parents wicks. also compete? Because, I mean, all the kids did it from a young age, so was that also. Because his parents, you know, Daniel's parents also did it when they were younger, or do they compete with they- it? I don't
1: know when his dad started. Definitely, I mean, uh, Steve Wicks, Daniel's dad, has been the president of the Australian Whip Crackers and Platters Association, the, com- the association that puts on the national competition. He's been president of that for a number of years. and I don't know when he started whip cracking, um, but he uh, yeah, definitely Daniel's dad has a big interest in whips, and they certainly have a substantial whip collection. Like they have a whole room in their house just dedicated. Oh. to whips that they have um, and uh, I think at one point they were like buying whips all the time like even I went over to Australia last time in 2012 and I picked up a few pairs of whips from Russell Schultz and they were like asking me oh are you going to sell those you want to keep them you're going to get it from
0: you yeah it's
1: just how I think some people are yeah. but there's another sort of side to it that, I was ta- that they told me last time which I brought up again with Daniel when I saw him yesterday yeah. is that when it comes to buying kangaroo leather whips like pairs of stock whips that are good for doing the hardest tricks. They said basically you got to buy like 10 sets of whips before you find the one set that will actually do what you really? want it to do. Wow! So some people now might look at like stock whips and kangaroo eyed whips like that's the whip you got to get man. That's the very pinnacle mm-hmm. of whips but they know there's so much variation in the whips, even, from, even in whips from the same whip maker, that yeah. sometimes this hide, might, one hide might be a little bit different, maybe they felt a little bit different this day, they cut something a little bit different, or the weight ended up different, yeah. is that sometimes for the very hardest tricks you need a very specific set of whips to really pull them off, hmm. or pull that trick off and get all the points. So uh, even Daniel has one set of whips by this Australian whip maker, Dennis Gardner, and Daniel has had them for a long time, so they're really old, so now he only brings them out for a couple tricks in very important competitions wow. because he knows those whips will do the trick better than any other set of whips he's ever bought and they've bought many many other sets of whips huh. trying to get this one set of really good whips copied yeah. but it's
0: almost impossible so what can you do like when you do find a pair that's that's perfect Keep them. and those wear out like can you just i don't know take it apart and see how exactly it was made or like where no not
1: really I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't um, help
2: because it's the same problem. Why, it, when you try to build them together, anyways, you, you have to go through tin for the same guy just because it doesn't matter what you try to do, you're going to be doing yeah. different leather, different time, <laughs> different thing. Right. Everything else looks a lot different when you unbraid it because it's already been smashed and flexed even more, you know? Hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I would think at that point, if you had a really good cracking set of whips and you wore them out, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you'd probably have to just keep them as a keepsake.
2: And it'd be I better. I that point. It'd be better whole if you try to replicate them with someone too, because yeah. if you took them apart, they couldn't try to figure out the taper and try to guess what made it magical. It'd be better to keep them as they are, even if they were could blown off. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's why sometimes I think of sometimes mostly. Yeah, I look at whips. It's like just think of oh, I'm a good whip maker. How to make my my whips better? So there's there's two parts to it for me for what I'm interested in. One is you can do what Peter Thorndike has done, where you make a super fancy whip with a 72-plat handle yeah. or an 80-plat, what was his last one? 80-something strands. So, yeah. Yeah. And so you can do that and make it really decorative. And there's the other side of it where you know how to do the hardest tricks with two whips, and then you are making whips that will do those tricks. Mm. So sometimes people will make what I call a Nick Schrader special, which is like, a six-foot nylon bullwhip following your directions. Mm. And then they would be like, can you like critique my whip and stuff? And I'm like, well, it's a Nick Schrader special. <laughs> like, <laughs> what I'm interested in, is it super fancy like Peter Thorndike, or will it help me do my two-handed tricks better? Yeah. And like, a Nick Schrader special doesn't do either of those things. So I'm like, you made a Nick Schrader special. What do you want me to say? Yeah. So, um no, I mean, no offense oh, man, no or anything. It. But, um so when it, kind of, when it comes to the, the two-handed whip cracking, it's like, well, if you learn those tricks and you make whips that can do those tricks, then you are helping people like me like, trying to get better at those tricks. Mm-hmm. So that would be where you have an example of a whip maker like Torrance Fisher, uh, at Sword Pellbury on Instagram, where Tori has like, placed in the whip cracking competitions out in Los Angeles several times. He's trying to learn new whip cracking moves, but he's also making whips. So when it comes to cracking a set of his whips, you know that, like, okay, these are going to, um, he can tell you whether or not they'll do the tricks based on how easily he can do the tricks with right, them. Because right. he can go out there and do it and kind of fine tune it. Yeah. And, um, and my wife also makes uh, Dakota, uh, at Dakitty Whips. That's D-A-K-I-T-T-Y-W-H-I-P-S on Instagram. So with her, more with Dakota is that we developed a performance hybrid type of whip that I was using in my show a lot and we just write out the design and then she's just very capable at replicating it over and over again and and getting those orders out. So that with nylon, that was a nice thing in her case is that you can just write out, make this part this long, make this next part this long, and there's variation with nylon but not as much variation as there is with leather. So you really can... Write down exactly how long to make everything, and you make it, and it will be a lot like this other whip. There's like uh, kangaroo hide or leather; is just natural material, so it's hard to get the same consistency.
0: Hmm. But
1: yeah, your question was about yeah, what do you do you when find you
2: that one? Why are you doing that one? Yeah, is, is there when you know it's coming to an end? How do you get a replacement? Yeah, that's. That's well, I guess magic, sort of. That's, that's the, the most effective art. way to get something. Well, that's that the magic part, of it, you, you know. It's like people make pass. swords, like you watch swords and They'll make, they'll do, like, they'll do knives, and sometimes it's like they get no damage. Yeah, like no damage on that blade. And other times it's, it's like you found one that guy that did it just so well, metal won't metal, one it. Yeah, know, just you find that one. Yeah, it's, I think that's just the nature
1: of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. None of us live forever. No whip outside of like the ch- the stainless or no i have a titanium whip in the back of my pickup truck that might last forever but no leather whip no matter how like it's going to last have a useful life forever that's just the nature of leather even if you don't use it eventually the thing's going to dry rot or whatever yeah. so that's just the fragility of life nick there's nothing you can do <laughs> you have to face it You have Joy to face while it while last yeah. man yeah
2: yeah that's, that's be more choosy don't, don't take that set of whips and go out in the mud on yeah. a bad wet day <laughs> you know right yeah definitely time. like, like I said like like
1: Daniel Whips like used those whips a lot yeah. and then but they kept buying whips they actually found, they found that set they did keep trying to get replacements of them like going to people like back to Dennis Gardner to see if you could make another set like them or going to Peter Thorndike yeah. here's these whips can you copy these and Trying to get them to copy those whips as close as they can get. So now Daniel has other sets of whips that are close, mm-hmm. but they don't quite do for him what that original set of Dennis Gardner whips will do. <laughs> but again, here we're talking about stuff where like fractions of a second difference in timing True. Yeah. Um, make a difference in it, or like even half a millimeters difference in uh, diameters can make a difference like the tricks are so hard mm-hmm. but couldn't and some
2: of that also be just the fact that like the the part of the whip crack where it's just like you're so used to that feel of those whips maybe you can't even replicate it as well like maybe they do have a good replication just those just maybe it's like a placebo too just like yeah. that there's those fit so well with you just because you use them so well it's a natural yeah. extension. like you you'll going a whip that won't crack that well like oh it doesn't crack as good as it can but i'm like but you can still make that a highly effective whip if you just decide to. Right. get used to it. The, the, yeah. the, the more so experience. the responsibility of the whip cracker should just have it be the extension of his hand regardless how good of a whip it is. I mean, so could part of that also being yeah. so boldness also be because he spent so much beloved time with it. There's just there might just be a connection there that can't that, be placed no so matter how much you do with it. Yeah, yeah I believe that that, that,
1: that that is a good point.
0: Yeah.
1: That yeah would have you'd have to be prepared to put in as much time with another set yeah. of whips as you put into that first set that are magical. Yeah. And like find your way to get them to work. And I have found that when I made whips more often, or like full time, I would have some people have, oh, I got this really special, I need to replicate it, can you make something like it? Mm-hmm. And I would make something close. Mostly, yeah, what I found there is when I'd have people who maybe weren't practicers or didn't want to go out and work with their props every day. Mm-hmm. They just want to be able to pick it up when it's time to do the gig and be able to do the trick. And in that case, it was much more challenging to make them something that they could use effectively. Because they weren't used to putting in any amount of time with the prop. They were like, this just automatically works, man. This one doesn't work for me. Yeah, am like, well, you gotta, do have to put some time into it yeah. to, to get it to work. Yeah. But I guess my other point that I was going to get to mm-hmm. is that, like, so recently I, I don't get as many emails about whip making as you guys do. Um, maybe I get like one a week, maybe. And, lucky um, you. <laughs> lucky, lucky me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm not uh, out there as much as you guys are. But I had I guy asking about like Indiana Jones bull whips and I guess for me when someone says like, oh, I want to make like the perfect Indiana Jones bull and it's going to crack so good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, the design itself is already limited as far as what you can actually do with it. Yeah. Any Indiana Jones type bull whip with a certain weight, with a short handle, with lead loading in the butt is only going to do so many tricks no matter how good it is. Right. So." When I look at this, like the very top end tricks that Daniel Wicks does, Indiana Jones Bullwhip is never going to do yeah. any of those mm-hmm. at all. You couldn't take two Indiana Jones Bullwhips and do any of the tricks that Daniel does in competition. So
2: they, they, made so. for they were amazing performance, they just made to be really blasting, functional, yeah, hard-earned whips. You know, yes. Something that could just do its job and a well, tool. Yeah. Right, like so, so when somebody like tells
1: me, so I think the bigger <laughs> challenge with those is to, yeah, to make, um, you, you're making something uh, that has the right look that is durable, um, and then you are prepared to be able to crank them out consistently whip after whip after whip. Yeah. I'd say th- those are the three big, big things. You're not making a high performance item. That's the one thing that's not there. I think probably that's the hardest thing about whip making, I think, is being physically and mentally prepared mm-hmm. to make the same thing over and over and over again and putting in the hours. Yeah. I certainly am not prepared to do that. That's why I'm much happier being a whip yeah. performer than I ever was as a whip maker. Yeah. So um, so I think that puts something in the Indiana Jones type bull whips, or most bull whips in general, a lot different than the Australian stock whips just because what is possible with that style of design is much different and the bull whips are just more limited. Like someone can tell me, like, I can take this many pieces off of a cigarette or cut a playing card in half. I'm like, well, yeah, there's probably a lot of bull whips you can do that with. They don't have to be as special, I would say, as like a really good set of stock whips that do the high-end tricks. Right. Yeah.
0: I was going to say something, I forgot what it was. Uh, yeah, I feel that way about when somebody orders a matched set for me. Like, you're talking about consistency. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, I'm glad I got the order, but it's, oh man, these whips are going to have to be identical in appearance
2: and function. You know, there, I've seen a huge variety when, like, I know I have a test, <laughs> there's a huge variety when it comes to match so Different people just... I find different makers. And I was kind of surprised like that when you got a match set, they were that off. Like, mm-hmm. like I, when I tried to first get into them, I was like, okay, this every like everything should line up equal, and you try your best. And I mean, it might be a little off. But you, you know, you try to make sure it's all. You know, whatever the pattern is, it's not somehow starts to shift off because one gets a bit smaller. But and I've seen a lot of match sets of people where they have a, they have a lot of these little issues, and it doesn't matter so much. And I mean, right. But you gotta, when you're doing leather, you gotta be with some reason. I'd, I'd say if every spec is at least 0.5 millimeters off, you're good. Like, that's a good, either way, that's, no, I mean, you don't need do so much to match it. You match, like, one to the other. Like, even you're trying to measure the diameter of, like, the thong or where they are at the tips and they're all the same. Like mm-hmm. As long as everything, you know, you do your best to split it all and put it together and it comes pretty good. With it. I, yeah. I've, been, I've been shocked at some ma- that match that's I've other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people get psyched up too much to try to make it so identical. Mm-hmm. To where they psych themselves up on it has everything has to be perfect. Like I mean, you try to put all the knots identical as you can, but man, there might be a little. I mean, it may just be a little yeah. offset. So you can't help yeah not too much to make them machined. There's going to be just a slight some of these maybe where it's just a little. Yeah,
1: I would say with but something with like match set of stock whips. Yeah. The nice thing with getting the diameters to match, like I have had sets where there is a half a millimeter difference in the thickest part of the thong, yeah. and it's super noticeable. Mm-hmm. To me, and that's when I actually have to go and like mark the whips if I keep them and use them, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just sell them off right away. Um, I'll, I will mark which one is the heavier one or whatever, so I always put that like one hand because when I switch them, mm-hmm. like the whips I practice with the most are that way. So I have definitely have a left hand whip and I have a right hand whip. Ideally, I have a lot of other pairs I have like it just doesn't matter. Just whichever hand gets whichever whip. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But with the ones with the difference in weight. Like, my hands will tell right away, oop, nope, you got the wrong whip, and I'll switch mm. it back. Here. I didn't know
0: that. I didn't know that the whips you usually use are different weights.
1: That's just the way they came from oh, Simon. Okay. I bro- uh, they were from Simon Martin, and I wrote to Simon, and I complained about oh, okay. it. Okay. And I have ordered other sets of six-foot sock whips from Simon Martin, and I've had yeah. two other sets. And that I would get them, and I'd be, for whatever reason, I'd be like, I got these, I feel like I'm still better off with this other set I have that does not yeah. quite match. Yeah. So, so I've gotten them, I cracked them a little bit, and I'd be like, no, nah, I think I'm still better with the original set. Yeah. So then I just go back to them, and then I sell off the
2: other ones yeah. that I had. But I mean, you know, there's going to be a little differences in how much no matter how much you do it. Like, but I was going to say... You try to keep everything as possible, but people get yeah. too psyched out like that and be like, oh no, it's all good here, but at this one point it might be just a little different. You know? like, you right.
1: We well, even have a difference in the taper, overall taper, but as far as the thickest point, you, you can, as long as you're measuring it as you go along, there is a lot you can adjust... Most of the adjustment I made in the thickness of the bolster, um, where if say if your cores or your bellies don't quite match up, you could like shave just a little bit more off of one bolster mm-hmm. to get the final. And it, especially if you if your overlays, if you split both overlays, have them stretch and split them to the same thickness, then um, any variation in the diameter can be taken care of by splitting down the bolster mm. to get them to match. Is uh, But I think but also that's why I like working in synthetic materials a lot because then as long as you're using the same paracord from the same spool or whatever you know as long as I put this many strands in the core and the belly is this many plat and the overlay is this many plat and I'm using it from the same spool they're both going to come out the same diameter Mm because it's Mm -hmm. consistent Mm -hmm. material
0: Uh, yeah do you guys when you make a matched set do you finish one whip and then start the next one or do you oh
2: okay you work side by side that's what I do well, I've done a lot of different things on them, but uh, yeah. generally, uh, what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll match the cores. Mm-hmm. But like I'll get them, make sure things split, and I'll match the cores, and then I'll, I'll, I'll put them on a like a, a leather hitch, and then I'll actually hand match them by, okay. i do it all by hand, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll do the same with bellies. Like I'll get the bellies, I'll match as much as I can, and then I'll have them split to the same to the same I belly, got you. You know. you just And reference. then I just I just I'll just put them together as they are and then. Depending on what it is though. Like if you're talking about like a target whip, yeah. Well, all I gotta make sure, like, I don't have to worry so much that every belly kind of starts as close as they can at the same spot. Because hmm. if you're okay. doing a target whip, well, I'm gonna fill in the handle anyways. I'm not too concerned if one's a little forward or not then. But if we're talking a bull whip and they got a flare, well then I gotta make sure the first and second bellies and, mm-hmm. and it hits. But uh, you know I'll match the bolsters best I can and all that. But when I braid one. I will braid the first one all the way up, because at that point, the internals are set all the way to the halfway point. I don't care what I do. If the overlays are matched, because I match them all in the first strand of whatever I start, I match everything to that first strand. Once I braid to the the halfway point, because everything's already matched so far, I just braid one whole overlay, then I just pull the other one out, and I just... When I get to the end of my second belly, I'll let, you know, that the second belly break into the halfway point. So I, I know where I'm about when my tail's and feather are, I know what I'm about when my bolster's going to end. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of do it all naturally. And the other one, I just kind of do it I naturally, do, and they kind of actually come up pretty much the same. I have done mm-hmm. more where I try to definitely, you know, try to match every last little thing and every little strand, and I find out I'm almost just as likely to have the same variation as opposed to just naturally finishing one. And by looking at that where it's at, just naturally finish the way I feel come out. Hmm. And like I, Joe did that. I always showed you that on one on my match set. And I just like, he's like, nah, I just braided up. Then I just braided the other one up. This is they tend to almost come out about the same art because I tend to want to tape it with what I got, but I want to tape where it's at because it's all more about as you go. You're putting your building as you go, you know the shape as it's Hmm. coming as you're going. And so I kind of. Done it that way, and I like it better that way because I have done some where I try to match everything and I measured every stand and where I you know where I cut it and reseated it. and I yeah. like to try to match every yeah. belly tail. I mean the belly tails like I'm trying to get every belly tail to right. And I, I mean I've done that before and I'm like all the time I went into it and it you know it was it, it was you don't know, like I said I don't think you have to get as anal yeah uh, to some points because if the internals line up pretty well when you're getting that last layer out you know I think that last part could go a lot easier. Mm-hmm. A lot easier than the first half. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, That's really my point. thing. That's how it's happened. I have done before you do everything So I'm like, i like, better get halfway point. but halfway point. And I'm like, make sure the drop is next to the drop. And then, I, you know, like I, but it turns out when I did one one all the way through and then I just put the other one right beside it because everything's mm-hmm. matched up on the in lace. I found out that I actually dropped about right where I needed to drop on all the drops where I'm only one of them was a little off and mm-hmm. the tape was pretty identical. Because yeah. I know where I want the bolster to end when I feather it out. I just, mm-hmm. you know. I have an artistic approach, so I really don't really take measurements. It allows me that too. I just match everything and mm-hmm. split everything. And well, I do it with strand drops a lot
0: of the times. If I'm doing a pair, like I'll I'll go a certain, you know, go a few inches, and then okay, I'm dropping my strand here, and then I'll stop on that belly, you know, and then yeah. right up to that point. On the next, just so I can kind of get, you know, as, using it as a reference is
2: close. I've as done the that game, too. But, I mean, I've I've done so many ways and. <laughs> I, I've tried more anal approaches than others, and I'm just like, you know what? It's, yeah. it's almost the same after all these times I put three times. To- like if you make a whip and you make a, a match whip, it's not like making two whips. It's almost like making three whips. Because by the time you put so much time in trying to match it all, and you, even though you do some of it side by side you're not, you've got to make sure it all is matching. After mm-hmm. you do, you might want to rematch it. I mean, you'll measure it. Like, I'll probably measure match. I will measure match sets. That, match that. When I make a one-off, I don't measure anything but I will do a little bit more measurements on that sets just to make sure I am still good Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know I'll I'll just take it from my
0: Yeah.
2: so we had uh, some or Adam you had a few
0: discussion topics that I really thought would be fun to talk about one of them being uh, cracking whips in public like if you want to go to a park and crack whips Mm -hmm. how do you do so without people being like what the heck is this guy doing yeah here's
1: Adam Cracks tips for (laughs) cracking in public yeah because I have had gigs in places, been flown places to do whip cracking and be on TV and overseas. Mm-hmm. And I found out you cannot fly anywhere and not practice and expect to do good in your performance. You right. have to be able to practice. So um, I, I guess the two, two basic things I would say is one, I'll, I'll expand on these. There's basically two basic things. Number one, keep your volume low. Number two, Keep your movements calm, non-aggressive, and repetitive. So I'll elaborate on keep your volume low. So, <clears throat> so for, I think like some people say, oh, I get the cops called on me or people complain. So probably what people call the cops on for complaints are things like gunfire and fireworks. Mm-hmm. So that's where I put there's a three tiered level I have for distinguishing how loud your whip cracking is. So yeah, the loudest whip crack could be like a 22 shot, and so that's gunfire. Below that is fireworks, where if you're trying to learn maybe some tuna and whip cracking, you're like, pop, 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 snap. snap pop, 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 but louder. And then below that is roofing crew. And I was practicing in a park in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there was a roofing crew working, and I was listening to how loud they were, and I was like, yeah, no one's calling the cops on a roofing crew. So just imagine how loud a nail gun and a hammer is, and maybe some mariachi music, and you just keep it below that level, and then people don't call, yeah, that's... So that's basically keep your level low. and Because if you're, if you're going off there and like letting off big, loud cracks at random that sound like 22 shots, you're going to get the, calls, the cops call on you right away or anything yeah. or just upset your neighbors.
2: Like the <laughs> usual guy that finally gets his first whip and he's on baseball. He's like, it goes off like a shot. Yeah. You hear know, that guy just kind of going like, wham! Just yeah. such an yeah, explosive, that's- random crack so they don't know if it's a car backfiring. Or, you know. So
1: yeah. if you live in the middle of Wyoming... Or say where we are now in the several miles outside of Shelbyville, Indiana, surrounded by farmland. You could probably, yeah, we could go shoot firearms right now. No one's gonna call (laughs) (laughs) anyone. So if you live, they wouldn't be that surprised if you know what's going on. If you live in a situation like that, you totally can go crack your whips like shotguns, and no one's gonna call the cops. Another little aside to that is that I crack whips so much in my house that. Let me back up. I crack whips a lot in my house. So a lot of people, they go and crack whips. Some be like, hey, he's shooting a gun. Oh, no, he's cracking a whip. But when I go out and shoot guns, they assume I must be cracking a whip. (laughs)
2: So So you get get away with shooting guns. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I get away with shooting guns a little bit. So anyway, so yeah, that first thing, keep your volume low. Imagine a roofing crew. And the second thing is basically keep, if you can keep your movements sort of repetitive and rhythmic and non-aggressive. So here's, I was telling Nick earlier, there's a little psychological thing that I got out of this book about music theory and why music is so pleasing to us. And I'm paraphrasing very roughly, but the gist is, in the ancient reptilian base of our brain, it's been tuned to enjoy rhythmic sounds and then be agitated or disturbed by arrhythmic sounds. Imagine you're a snake stuck in your burrow and you hear just wind blowing a branch.
0: It's
1: rhythmic. Or waves in the ocean. It's rhythmic. But as soon as you hear something arrhythmic like... That's me trying to imitate a badger that's trying to dig into the frog. burrow.
2: I thought it was a frog.
1: Frog. Sure, frog. Whatever. Anyway, my point is, is that anything arrhythmic would set off any kind of animal that can be prey because they think a predator is after them. So the idea is for us, repetitive sounds are soothing because they are non-threatening. Arrhythmic sounds can be associated with predators and are totally not soothing. So when you go out to crack your whip, even if it's one whip, the more repetitive you can make your movements, the less threatening people will find them just because we're just naturally tuned to be put at ease with uh, repetition, things that repeat and repetitive movements. Yeah, that's so brilliant, it's
2: interesting. So I mean, especially like even if you're, you're, urban, you're like urban, like you live in the urban, it's like you hear that car, car fire gunshot. You hear a pop, a pop, a pop. It'd be something that'd be quicker, decisive, when it'd be something that would keep going for thirty seconds in a rhythm. And mm-hmm. just the idea of rhythm alone that would solve a lot of even urban problems that people hear. You don't think it's a gunshot when it's pop, pa da da, da pop, pop, da, da da, They're like that ain't a. That's definitely not a gun. No one is shooting an AK forty-seven in a musical note.
1: So some people might complain about that to me be like, but I'm just new to whip cracking. I can't do anything rhythmic. Well, I would say if you do want to progress to anywhere with two whips, and even with one whip, just doing any kind of show, it is all about being able to do a motion repetitive. You're gonna. That's what, what it's all about. Especially with two-handed whip cracking, all of it repeats. Yeah. So you are building your skills. The, the sooner you realize that whip cracking can be regular and rhythmic, even... Like a cattleman's crack to be able to go bang, 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 bang. As soon as you can, like, or pop, pop, pop. As soon as you can make it rhythmic and repetitive, then um, you're going to progress in your whip cracking further and also be more soothing to your neighbors. Because they'll see, oh, you're focused, you can control, you're not some uh, spaz type of person that's just out there, like, uh, crazily cracking a whip, like, oh, he's working on something. I can mm-hmm. tell because it's repetitive. Yeah. And they'll respond to that positively to that more so, than lots of random loud cracking. You know, I don't think yeah. you
2: touched on the part where you said act aggressive. Can you go into detail about the wrong way to act aggressive? Scream a and yell <laughs> Well, yeah, I would say generally... Cracking at the mouth, chains on you maybe, don't wear your horror shows and fake blood come out of your mouth and you scream. No, you could probably do that too, like like... Oh,
1: no, it's just how you crack the whip, and it more goes to the volume thing. Like, if your idea of like, I just want to crack it as loud as I can, and go out and just do a very loud bang overhead crack mm-hmm. all the time, that is aggressive to a lot of people. That's yeah. why it, it was whip was used to drive herds of cattle because like the cattle are like, oh, that's aggressive. I'm okay. gonna move on. <laughs> yeah. So don't if you want to be if you're gonna be in a public situation where other people watch <laughs> you do it and you don't want to accept them, don't do that. Like, yeah. save your hard cracking whatever, for when you have the space where you know you aren't going to upset the neighbors.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because also, what did I have happen at once? I was visiting Paul Nolan, and I think was, I went over to Ohio, and we went to a park, and I wasn't doing anything like particularly aggressive, but maybe I had like a, I was using like a 12-foot cow whip, which uh, maybe some people found like a little threatening, mm-hmm. and like, I was more than 100 yards away from anybody else, but then I stopped and I went over and yeah. watched some people like skateboarding, and some lady came up, like, You could have hurt a kid. Do you know what you were doing? Why are you doing that out here? He, like, Do you have any idea what could have happened to somebody? I'm like, I was way <laughs> over there. Yeah. And why are you yelling at me now? <laughs> and probably if I would have had a shorter set of whips and had been clearly doing something rhythmic, yeah. she would have felt differently about it. Yeah. But I also was just doing a longer whip, and probably the cracks were a little bit louder and a little bit more random. Yeah. And that upset her more. But more. also, there is other things. Some people in public just. They want to be angry. Oh, yeah. They're so, looking
0: for a reason to lash out. You know? So, if
1: yeah, for anyone that's ever been on Twitter, that's what Twitter <laughs> is. Yeah. A place where people don't want to lash out yeah. have their venue.
0: Yeah. The comments section of uh, most social media is just riddled with uh, attacks from behind the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, all those people, really, they
1: just need to take a nap. Just need yeah. to know to add a
0: nap to your life, and right. that'll chill you up. Yeah. Well, that was really interesting. I, uh... I've thought about that a lot when I, if I make a video or I'm at a park where I whips, like, I do get looks and I'm always trying to be cautious about it, but that's some good insight on that for sure.
1: Well, yeah, that's my feeling. I mean, yeah, some people are always going to be weirded out by it because uh,
0: just never wh- wh-
1: whips aren't, like, a common part of our culture anymore. Yeah. At one point, they used to be. Mm. Like, because, like, I'm sort of out there in the public a little bit. Some of the people ask, or anyone yeah. that has a whip, like, What'd they use that for? Well,
2: horse and buggy, were, you know, 100 years ago, yeah. you know, horse and buggy, they're all over the place. Everybody a mm-hmm. whip. They knew what a crack of whip was just throwing down the street. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. As David Morgan writes in his book, when animal power used to be a more important part of transportation, moving freight, or construction, even whips were just an everyday part of life, getting those animals to work. And, and and being able to control them so like a lot of people had to use a whip. I thought what I thought was interesting is you look in the Old West um, in the Old West the version of the truck driver was the ox team driver or they'd have bull trains so you had people that were classic figures in the Old West like Wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo Bill Cody and Calamity Jane probably the most famous one all three of them at some point had a job moving freight, using a whip, Mm -hmm. because that was the, like in some states nowadays, the most common job is being a truck driver. Mm -hmm. And that goes back hundreds of years when it was not trucks, but it was wagons, and it was oxen. Mm -hmm. So all those people had to use a whip. There's even a whip uh, that was used on ox teams in the uh, Buffalo Bill Cody Museum out in Wyoming. It's a huge, huge whip, Mm. but it was a more common part of everyday life yeah. And then now everything's motorized, and uh, it's not as common.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's one of the most commonly asked questions when I tell someone what I do. Like, what, you know, what do you do? I make whips, custom whips. They're like, what do they use them for? That's the number one question, like 95% of the time. you know they'll ask that question.
1: Sometimes I like to think of it as lump, I mean, sometimes you can lump it into like with the Western art skills Mm -hmm. and say, oh, I do it along with like my lasso spinning and uh, my gun spinning, tomahawk throwing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you can sort of lump it into, I would say things like just like primitive skills, like archery, using an addle, addle, that kind of thing. Like it's something that no one would have to use nowadays, but still people still find it interesting.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Long, long like, I yeah. <laughs> no it. I was yeah. On,
0: when I go to a you know a Fourth of July party or something like I did this year, and you know I take a whip out, you know people have never seen one or gotten the opportunity to try one in person at least. But uh, when you put that target stand in the ground, put some plants in there, and get them to cut it, they're hooked. Okay. Their, their their face just lights up, you know.
2: But uh, yeah. Uh, were we gonna, was one of the topics how is there a way to even grow the whip community ah yes I uh, think so we're talking about like how to even grow was that one of the things we discussed yeah it was I think so. to grow the
1: sport of whip cracking and should it even be done yeah <laughs> well some people have grand ideas that whip cracking someday should become an Olympic sport however as there are so many other sports that are actually much more popular than whip cracking that will never be Olympic sports And the short list of them would be knife throwing, unicycling, juggling. Is bowling an Olympic sport? That is an Olympic sport, isn't it? I think so. Maybe bowling. I think it Uh, is. Billiards, that's not Olympic. Mm -hmm. I don't think so many more people play billiards. Darts, Mm -hmm. that's not Olympic, but much more popular sport. Mm -hmm. So I think that gives an idea of of realism about it. But I would say I'm growing whip cracking, I was sort of looking at knife throwing because knife throwing is growing in popularity and it's it's more popular than whip cracking, I would say. And some of the stuff I saw up in Canada at their World Championships in Ontario back in June is a part of it is just having a venue, where a club where people can go once a week or something and go crack whips. Um, But I probably the bigger thing difference between knife throwing and whip cracking and I was trying to really get it down is that knife throwing is a much more focused activity. You have a knife, you have a target, there is a bullseye, can you throw the knife and stick it into the bullseye? You can describe all of knife throwing that is basic, I described all of it as everything they did Mm -hmm. basically fits in that very simple description. So Mm -hmm. it's very clear for everybody, this is our goal. And as has gone back and forth about um, maybe who could ever be the best whip cracker in the world, I that no one really can be now, because, or if there ever could be, because artistically and creatively and skill-wise, it is so broad that no one person could clearly dominate all the different categories that can be done with whip cracking, whether you think Australian two-handed whip cracking, you think whip tossing, whip juggling, maybe a martial arts movement and whips or dancing and whips. Um, or doing Guinness World Records like no one person can dominate all the Guinness Records there are right now mm-hmm. for whip cracking there's just too many people that are specialized in the, <clears throat> all the different categories that there are Yeah. so it's so broad that a person comes into whip cracking and then you're just presented with all these things that you could do or try to master and it's like it's too much Yeah. I think So sort of my idea was that I know like people in different parts of the country have tried to or try to have like regular whip Mm meetups and then maybe someone might show up like once, maybe twice and then drop out be like, oh, I tried it once and that was it. The only thing I could get out of knife throwing and I kind of got this, I think, from the idea of the knife throwing clubs that are in Toronto is that if you have a regular meetup whip cracking club, it might be nice to have like once a month or maybe once every other month have a friendly competition with your local club so that somebody that shows up and be like, hey, I tried this, I can whip a target. And if you come back in a month, we're going to do the, the, our bi-monthly showdown or, what, mm-hmm. or once a month showdown where everybody gets a line, we see how good everybody is. And then you've given that person a specific task to focus on that's like a payoff. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the harder part with even kids in the United States now trying to learn Australian whip cracking, like Leo Maxwell. Mm-hmm. for example is like they learn all this stuff and then you're kind of left with like well, what do I do with it like I went out to Los Angeles to the whip cracking convention out there but now I have these skills like where's my reward where's the payoff mm-hmm. and I feel like if there are more like smaller local competitions people would have like oh I'm going to go there I'm going to do this one cracking competition I have a focus mm-hmm. it's not like we're just going to keep going here okay I learned this crack and I could go back next week I'm still do this crack it's a little bit harder to learn the next one. It's uh, There's less of a carrot out there, a ring to grab, yeah. or a thing to strive for. And even
2: with, like, well, uh, Leo's skill set, it's like, how feasible is it to go to, if you wanted to even compete, it have to be in Australia. Like, how feasible is it to go to Australia multiple times a year just, just for competition? That was a big, I mean, that'd be a very expensive.
1: I went four times. I, so I, I'm probably the only one to do it. But of course, my inspiration for whip cracking was. Australian whip cracking and also uh, I was only really able to have the time and be able to go once I started my performing career then because I wasn't performing all the time but it was enough of income where I could afford to go over there and, uh, and also then because that's my living make cracking whips I could write the trip off on my taxes so was, well, for Bill, me it was a bit of a different situation
2: Well Bill's somebody like Leo who he was 15 when he was doing it 13, 14, 15 it's like well you have to have a parent go you know, and then so now it's not one ticket, it's two. And, right. You yeah. know if the family makes it over, there, you know, it's just it gets just more expensive. Yeah. Know, it's a lot to do. You know, over there. Yeah. one man vagabonding can also afford to live on a sofa if you can. <laughs> Sometimes the family is like, ah, we gotta we gotta get a hotel now. Yeah. You know. hmm.
1: Now, well, even well, even competing in Australia for the Australians, like Australia is the same size as the continental United States or at least the lower 48. So you have families that do have to like fly around Australia to try to go to these competitions. You can imagine someone like, all right. No. So to comparative in size, like, oh, I'm just going to name off cities in the United States. Be like, okay, well now we're going to fly to Orlando. Ooh, the next competition, that's in New Orleans. Okay, now we've got to go up to Boston for the next competition. So you can imagine like taking a whole family inside, inside this country yeah. to try to go to those different cities. That'd be, It'd be expensive. that'd be a lot of money. So that's, I guess, where I would think it'd be nice for people that want to get whips going is like have a club, but also be prepared to put on little competitions. And one thing I could mention about how, like, how we do the Los Angeles whip thing is actually very simple compared to how other events are done. The basic thing of it is you pick a date, you rent a park, and you then put on a Facebook page to tell everyone when it is and do a list of events. And that's all, basically all you got to do. When I went to this knife throwing event, that was three full days of knife throwing. So, not only did this guy have to build all of these knife throwing targets, which were really advanced, he had to have like two people keeping score with a computer. He had to have all these people scoring all the knife throwers. Um, he had to build all these other outbuildings for people. He had to have a setup for people to camp. Um, he most of, probably the biggest work he had to feed 200 people on Saturday night at wow. those cooking. And um, so, there was a lot that he put into it. And I was like, yeah, that's a, lot. that's a lot of work. And whereas what we do in Los Angeles, relative, it's relatively a lot easier, I think, as far as putting on an event. Just like, just have a part, tell people what it is, mm-hmm. and just be very clear on what events you're going to do and be good at judging them. And make some people show up. And um, so I think there's definitely, if you take that format and want to start doing it in other places, like for me, I, li- I really like competing. So if there were a whip cracking competition in the United States that didn't conflict with one of my performance gigs I would definitely go um, like mm-hmm. some events I've even gone on like Thursdays and Fridays and had to leave like I went to the Western Skills Convention in Los Angeles sorry not in Los Angeles Las Vegas in uh, May and uh, competed in the whip cracking there mm-hmm. um, just because I wanted to go and support it and like mm-hmm. you know be around uh, the friends that I have in the Western Arts community mm-hmm. but even in their case with the Western Skills Convention they really did uh, I've had to put in a lot of work and a lot of money, and a big investment to do the three days that they did in there. Like, it's also going to be a big cost if you have to rent like a ballroom or a convention area right. in a hotel. Like, that's a huge cost that kind of, in, for the LA convention, we avoid by just renting a park. But I could also tell by having a whip event indoors that really does limit how much cracking you can do. Because I showed up as a kind of a gung-ho whipcracker, and any time I went nuts, I probably pissed off half the people. Because yeah. they're like, I can't talk to my friends anymore, yeah. why won't you stop? Yeah. And then, like, I even have fun labs, I started in like, I just want to try a set of whips, and then I saw one lady plug her ears, and immediately I stopped. And I just watched her to see, like, how long it's going to take her to realize I stopped. Yeah. She unplugs her ears. But I also <laughs> felt bad, and I know when I go back, I'm like, okay, maybe it's better for me to be more of a gung-ho lasso spinner yeah. than a gung-ho whipcracker. Because of the nature of this event being indoors, sure. and it reaffirmed my idea that for the whip cracking in LA, as much as you can fight with the weather, it does have to be an outdoor event so people can still talk to each other, but also do the whip cracking that they right. want to do.
2: That's
1: right. yeah. just how it is.
2: So far, the weather's never been a problem. I right? do have any problem with and so far, like with the rain on a through some of it right Yeah, actually, oh, we kind of, of
1: it, it rained um, at the towards the end of the day this last year, yeah. so we kind of, usually we can like hang out a little bit, but it rained, so, started spring a little bit, we got our competitions done, mm-hmm. but then everybody kind of packed up their stuff real quick and clear out.
0: We took the, picture, the group picture in the rain, I think, didn't we? We did, yeah, it started raining
1: yeah. then, yeah, yeah and uh, Torrance had to run and put all his stuff away <laughs> before he could uh, get into the picture, yeah. and then we finished the competition. Yeah, but that's just mostly, L.A. generally is pretty dry, mm. so it's sort of safe, but not quite. We did have beautiful weather the day before and the day after, mm. so it's sort of hit or miss, but we're still better off mm. being out, being outside. I think you're right. Yeah. And when is the... Uh, January 4th. Yes. We already picked the date. Awesome. Because some people have already bought their tickets. the Ögren from Sweden is uh, coming already. He bought his plane ticket already. So that uh, that is why I'm
0: brushing up on my Swedish. Witchcraft whips, Johnny. Witchcraft whips, Johnny. How do you pronounce his, his last name properly? Because I'm like Ogren. I know that's wrong. Oh,
1: I'm probably wrong. So it's O with an umlaut over it. Oh. So it's like, uh Ögren. Ö, Ögren. Huh. They also roll all their R's, or most of their R's in, in huh. Swedish. So it'd be a, R-gren. Ögren.
0: Ögren. <laughs> <And it's, laughs>
1: sometimes stronger sometimes not I don't know it really depends you can mess just like English if
2: you want to know how to pronounce it right you just wait at January 4th yes. and he can tell you fly first, to LA you can yeah. hear you him can say it, say it first himself. yeah fly to LA and you can hear John. well I, I have a
1: recording of him on my phone you could also <laughs> that. That's
0: funny. that would be much cheaper <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Whitney it's going to be good you got any new ideas, or is it pretty much set in stone what you guys always do? Or there, you got some new ideas for different competitions or targeting or other things? Is, because I know it's been only three years or four years now, so fourth year, it's like have you, you know, there's been a progression of how you set it up, or yep. what events you do, or what you're looking to score now, or preliminary moves for. I
1: think some things uh, we want to change. Uh, one is that um, we so we have the park the whole day. But we don't start sign up until eleven and then the competition started one, but we added the whip-making into it this last year, and, and the, the award ceremony for that took almost like 20 minutes or a half hours. So I really ate into uh, the time for the competitions. So I realized with the knife-throwing competition, oh, some people, if you, come all that way you are, if they say, hey, sign-ups at nine, competition start at 10, like you can start stuff a lot earlier in the day. Yeah. So I think we're really so. gonna prepare to start earlier, And that should also give um, the the whip making judges more time, hopefully. Um, So we're gonna change to do that. Some other things I wanted to add, uh, possibly adding, is a really popular competition in the UK where it's most cuts you can get off of one spaghetti target. And I think that one's really fun. fun. That'd be great. And I think it wouldn't be something where everybody watches everybody else do it. Mm -hmm. It would be like just one person is with a clipboard over at that target stand in some corner of the park, and yeah. would be like, "Whatever you want to compete, so and so's over there. You just go to him, or you just find him, and be like, hey, I want to go do my thing now.' Yeah. And you go over there and you do it, and, and then they write it. down your number, and then maybe we have to have a tiebreaker." Yeah, do, I don't
2: think anybody would mind if they didn't watch everybody hit the. Yeah, because it's
1: a lot to it'd be a lot to watch. So it'd just be a station somewhere off where people like during like you could do it during other events if you wanted to or whatever and you just go off That's good and, and do it or have some kind of window of time when people can go off and do it um, so we want to add that and then um, let see what else we're going to do oh one, one thing I really wanted to do is with our freestyle competitions it's kind of tough now that people look at it and be like oh Todd Brex is going to be there I can't win so even though like, um, Todd Brex hasn't won them all but um, I guess what I want to do is try to... We want, I was trying to think of something to do with it that would help make it more rewarding for the other people that come into it. And so one thing we're going to do is we do have these three required cracks. You have to do cattleman's cracks, fast figure eights, and volleys. So I thought about having a separate prize for everybody that gets full points for all their required cracks. Mm-hmm. So usually at any given... We only offer first, second, and third... But usually, there's been like six, seven people that would get a perfect score in all their required cracks. So I thought it'd be nice to bring all those people out first that get a perfect score on those, give them some kind of special prize, and, and then um, like a candy bar or something. Like mm-hmm. just something small, but just so they get the recognition. Mm-hmm. And then from that group, they'd be like, and now these people got to do a crack off or, or then, then do the first, second, and third awards mm-hmm. for that. Just to give people a little bit more recognition. Because in the knife throwing up in Canada, they do have separate categories. They've got uh, amateur, semi-pro, pro, pro, and masters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they've really split it up. But they had 80-some competitors. So with our Mm -hmm. freestyle competitions, the most we have is 20. So we don't quite have the numbers yet to start splitting it that way. Otherwise, you'd have like four people competing for first, second, and third in a master's category. And then the other 15 would be in the amateur category. And I'm like... It's just not quite enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. how has the numbers been like from the first one? How many people draw them to the second to the third? Is it is there a consistent number, or is it actually every yeah. year? It's definitely grown. Like you're seeing bigger turnout every year. Is a bigger turnout than the year before? Because we're only doing three years so far. Right? Had the fourth year, we did the fourth. fourth this year, this yeah. was the fourth year. Exactly. I think
1: it's been growing. Yeah. I, 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 I would think say so. so. Yeah. I think probably the biggest thing that probably helped it grow and like draw people in is that. Because Peter has been, Peter Thorndyke has been there, is that more whip makers are drawn to come, as well as whip crackers. Yeah. So that means uh, or Johnny Ogren of Witchcraft Whips is coming. Uh, Blake Gorey of Serpent Slayer's Whips is yeah. coming, and so yeah. they're both more um, whip makers than they are whip crackers. And part of the draw mm-hmm. is probably the whip making competition. Yes, that exactly uh, that we're we're gonna have. So I see that's and that's that happens in Australia. There are some competitions where like you have the whip cracking and the whip making side by side. Mm -hmm. So I think probably more yeah, let's try to see how much can we develop the, the whip making side of it and that'll really help it grow as just an overall overarching whip event.
2: How many people were there that would just show up and watch? I mean there were a lot of people that I just show up and watch but didn't participate like were, or was pretty much. I, I think sometimes
1: they got a head count Sometimes they like would have a crowd of 100 people, mm-hmm. maybe or something or more. Um, yeah, I had some people that just that knew me from the Renaissance Fair mm-hmm. uh, that I worked that were in town that were like, oh, let's go see what Adam's putting on. And they came out and watched it and they, they thought it was pretty fun to watch. Mm-hmm. So, but we, I mean it's not advertised that much to the general public. So, Mm -hmm. and people can come and watch, but usually they know somebody that's coming. Right. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, are you looking to expand where it would even get bigger there, or do you think it's already pretty packed that you wouldn't want to have twice as many people that you met?
1: Yeah, I think it would be harder with more people. I mean, uh, my wife, Dakota, and I, we've talked about it, and part of it has been, like, man, we, our goal initially is just, like, we just want some fun event that's relatively easy for us to put on. Gives us something to do in the winter where we can go hang out with our friends and have a good time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... So that,
2: that,
1: that's, that's, that's the main thing. Or for me, mostly, I like these events mm-hmm. and like they always seem to be going on when I have to work. So I guess if I want to have a good event going on when I'm not working, I will just put it on myself mm-hmm. and, then, and then it will be there and then I can have an event to go to. Yeah. Um, so we, there were some, was some talk about like how do we make it bigger? How do we expand it? Um, do you have like two days of competitions? Or possibly do you have like, maybe in one maybe expand it to multiple parks, where maybe you have competitions going on in one park, you have like workshops going on in a different park at the same time, Or maybe when you have workshops in one park, you've just got another hangout park where someone's there prepared mm-hmm. to give lessons to beginners and stuff, and sort of split it up that way. But at, we're sort of like, nah, I don't know if we're really ready to try to expand it that much. The only one thing I do want to expand is, I mean, people do want to come there and hang out and see who's dancing. So, yeah. so usually on fri- Fridays, I think we're going to try to expand it more. where like there is a pre-meetup in a different, in Buena Vista Park. So come on out at like from one to like dark or whatever, come out and hang out and crack some whips, see who's there get a little warm up for the, the competitions the next day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that way, because when I've gone out there before, like we always get there several days ahead of time and then I'm hanging out with Todd Rex like every afternoon, three, four days before the competition. We're just out there popping whips and stuff and Mm -hmm. like changing ideas, which is great. And, and most people I guess just didn't know that, Oh, if you want to hang out more with the people that are out here, just show up early or stay late, <laughs> yeah. and then Todd Rex cracks every day. So you just go hang out with him. Anytime we go hang out with Bart, well, yeah, just, he's going to do it anyway. Just stay later. So that's anyway what we do, and so I'll try to tell it to more people who want more time to hang out. But ma- mainly, yeah, for the main convention, like we're going to be like All right, Friday, hangout day for everybody. Saturday, competition day for everybody, and then <laughs> Sunday there will be uh, some private workshops that people can sign up for. But we don't have like a... It's not like a hangout time. It's like you got to sign up for the, that workshop and show up to it. You can't just be like, hey guys, I'm here. What's going on? Just, like, kind of got to be like, oh, no, I signed up. I paid for that. I'm going to go take that workshop. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to do the World Championship belt buckle again. Mm. Even though um, some people would think like, Todd Rex is going to be the one to win it. Why do you just have to give Todd Rex a belt buckle? But I was like, if anybody, Todd Rex should have like Leo Maxwell won the last belt buckle. Like even if it is, if Todd Rex is the main contender, if we don't get anyone over from Australia this time, um, Todd Rex still would deserve a world champion, at least one world champion belt buckle.